everybody. It is, well, thank, thank you. Um, it's such a pleasure to be with you this morning. And if you are a guest with us, I'm so glad that you are joining us. And my hope and my prayer for you is the same as it is for every single person who's here every week that they're here. And that's simply that no matter where you are in your faith today, that you would find yourself taking one step towards Jesus. That is what we are all about here. And, and I'm thankful that you're here. And, uh, you know, to those, I know Mother's Day is this amazing day. It's also a tough day for some, and I just feel like it's important to recognize that. For, um, for some of you, this is a day to celebrate. For others of you, you, you have a bit of mourning, and there's uh, some tough stuff with today. And I know that because in the culture that we live in, there's just a lot of different expectations on, on women in our culture of what you should be doing, shouldn't be doing, and all of those things. And, and I just want to stop, and, and before we kind of jump in today, just pause to say how thankful and how grateful I am for so many women in my life who have helped walk with me and point me more towards Jesus, that I would not be the man that I am today outside of like, oh, my mom. Yes, I learned so much from my mom and she helped me so much, but also in the body of Christ in the church, there were women that, that they took the time to invest in what this nightmare was at 13. <laughs> and I'm deeply, deeply indebted. So for those of you this morning who, who you just invested in others around you, it doesn't matter if biologically you're a mom, you're not, none of this matters. There, you know, women of Crossbridge, women of, who follow Jesus, thank you for loving the people around you and pointing us towards Jesus. So, you know, thank you so much for that. And as I, as I was kind of thinking through that this week, um, I thought Mother's Day is a great day, but I felt some, a little bit of pain in it because about a year and a half ago, um, someone very near and dear to me uh, had passed away, and it made me think of a, a, a woman. Her name is Mamadou, is what we called her, Mamadou, Victoria. And uh, when I was at my last church, she was just fantastic, about this tall, Colombian, and with all sorts of rhythm, beat, fun, and she had three boys that one of them was about my age and then two that were a little younger that were in my youth group, and they were nuts. They were, they were like the most off-the-wall boys ever. So I was like, oh, I fit right in with this family. And she's like, oh, I know how to love you. This is great. I got you. And she was just fantastic. And she was one of my best youth workers, youth leaders, volunteers, whatever you want to call it. She influenced our youth group so much because... Um, she really didn't care if she was cool or not. She just wanted to have fun. She had a way of loving life that was different. And it was one trip that we were taking, actually right before I came down to Crossbridge. It was my last event at my last church. And we took about 25 teenagers, uh, junior hires, to Boston. That sounds like a dream come true, doesn't it? She was the first one to sign up to go, I am in. I am in. And I was like, okay, this is great. And we went to Boston, and we do these service projects helping, you know, kids in the area. And it was, like, really hard as a Yankee fan to do this. But I was like, I love the city, and I'll invest. Maybe they'll know Jesus and Yankees. You know, we'll see. Um, but it was so much fun to be there. And the last night, we were supposed to, we, we take all the kids into the city. And we just walk around. We enjoy everything that Boston has to offer, which is a fantastic city. 
we were supposed to meet at 8.30 to all take the train back to where we were staying, and we didn't get there at 8.30 because it was Mamadou and I with one portion of our group, and something happened. All of a sudden, as we were walking through, music started to play. She heard a concert starting, and we didn't show up till 9.30 because this is what happened. We started, and she heard it. She's going to be behind the person in the pink, and this is Captain Bob. I don't know if his real name was Bob. That's what he told us to call him, but he had a hat on, so you got to call him Captain, right? And so what happened was is this was warm-up. This was sound check, and right behind him, you could see her. She's short. Oh, she's getting it. You see it? She's getting it, getting it. What happened was is all of a sudden, she started dancing in the middle of this group, and then the group started to form around her, and I'm with the camera. I, I had to stop in a second because, oh, look at it. She's getting it. Oh, that's not, oh, oh, all right. She's backing it up before we really were good with this. But here's what was awesome. Mamadou, right there closest to the stage, she never left the dance floor for over an extra hour because we were on our way to meet them, but the music hit. And when the music hit, you don't stop dancing. It was beautiful. It was so much fun. And in this moment, I'm not naturally bent that way. I'm like, we got to be on time. We got to get to that thing. I don't want the rest of the, the, the group to be late. And, and, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And what I realize now more than ever was she modeled something different about Jesus that I've always had trouble understanding. But she modeled this, and it simply is that in a world of doubters and cynics, Jesus always found a way to celebrate. In a world of doubters and cynics, Jesus always found a way to celebrate. And I know that might sound weird a little bit, like, wait, Jesus celebrating? Doesn't he give us all the rules, all the things that we have to do? And like, he makes life so much harder for us, and we got to obey these things? It's like, no, 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 let me tell you. Jesus knew how to celebrate, and honestly... Everyone in the Jewish culture knows how to celebrate. It's written into their law. It's written into the law. Like, yes, there's certain things I have for you that you should be doing and shouldn't be doing, but some of the biggest shoulds, you need to know how to party. You need to know how to throw a really good party. And since I know that you're probably going to work and want to do that instead of throwing a party, I'm going to give you the outline for how to do this. And if you go into um, Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus is really early on in the Bible, and it's, most people do not get excited about reading Leviticus because it feels like it's all these weird laws and whatever. But in chapter 23, there's this really specific chapter about all of the festivals that this nation needs to celebrate. And I don't say like should celebrate, but needs to and has to. This is mandated, and it's wild. When you go into there, the first thing in Leviticus 23 that, that God says, this is one of the ways you're going to celebrate is through a Sabbath. And Sabbath is a 24-hour period where they're not allowed to work. All you're supposed to do is eat and enjoy your family and celebrate and delight in God. How many of you are like, oh, I'd take a weekly festival like that, like sign me up. This was God, God's intention. Stop working for a day and celebrate like crazy. 
celebrate that God is good. And, and then if you go over, the, you would continue, we just celebrated Passover. And they would celebrate Passover to remember what happened in the Exodus, and it was wonderful. And then Passover would happen where you're not working. It would immediately be followed by the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And here you're pausing, you're not working, you're celebrating again. And then there would be the, the First Harvest Festival. 50 days after the First Harvest Festival, you would have the festival of the harvest, right? You're gathering everything in. Um, that, that festival is also called Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. That's what they're celebrating in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fills the church for anew is there's been a harvest, and they're all celebrating it together. Pause, don't work. Right after Pentecost, it's the festival of the trumpets. This is Rosh Hashanah. That's what we call this. Anybody know what this is? The, the Jewish what? It's the Jewish New Year. This is like, what are you going to do? It's time to celebrate. And then 10 days after that is the Festival for the Atonement. We call that Yom Kippur. Um, when that ends, five days after that, it's time for the Festival of the Final Harvest, where you're like, all right, this is it. We're kind of done. And we call that the Festival of the Shelters. Like, can you, it's a, that's a whole lot of pausing, isn't it? That's a whole lot of stopping. At every one of these, they were meant to stop working, come together, celebrate big. Stop working, come together and celebrate. It was always about gathering people together to celebrate. God loves to celebrate. Do you know that? He wants to party. And I love this. And in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 38, at the end of this chapter, the beginning of it says, these festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. Right? I'll be honest, as I read all these festivals, and I think God wants us to take a day off a week to celebrate him and his goodness, to be refueled, and then there's all these other breaks for celebration. My first thought is this does not seem very efficient, just being honest. I, I wonder if they ever got sick of being around each other so much. I wonder if they got frustrated. I mean, nothing worse is, there's nothing worse than a mandatory party. Amen? You can say amen. I know you know what I'm talking about. You know those parties that, that you have to ask the question, do we really need to go to this? How many have, like, you've honestly asked that question of, okay, I see two hands, amen, amen. We've all asked that question at some point. I'm not going to point to some kind of party because if they're throwing the party, it's important to them, but you're thinking, do I really need to show up to this? I, I, I mean, do you ever sit through a meeting and then they're going to do that little birthday party after work for all the people, and you're like thinking, when does this end so I can get back to work? Like, when does this end? Anybody else, right? Mandatory birthday parties at work? No, I'm here to work. I'm not here to celebrate. I've got to get this job done. I feel this, like efficiency, get it done. But that verse in Leviticus continues. In verse 38, it says, the festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. And the offerings are in addition to your personal gifts, the offerings you give to fulfill your vows, and the voluntary offerings you present to the Lord. When every time they came to celebrate, they were bringing more offerings than their normal offerings and their normal giving back to God. Uh, when it came to tithing, which is um, simply setting aside, God asked them to set aside 10% of everything that they acquired. Sheep, grain, um, you know, anything. They gathered it together, and they would give that back to God through worship at the temple. This was a celebratory moment. 
But if they were too far from where that, that tithe needed to be made, at the end, when they, if they were too far from where that was, God told them, listen, here's what I want you to do. Sell it all and take the silver, put it in a little pouch. Save that pouch because when you do go, here's what I want you to do. This is how they're supposed to use their tithes when they go to the temple or they go to the place of worship. In Deuteronomy 14, in 26, it says, when you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, and other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household and do not neglect the Levites in your town for they will receive no allotment of land among you. God's command with the tithe that they're supposed to bring, if they're too far, is to do what? Throw a party. Throw a party. Get the best food and drink you can and throw a party. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, I do not want to party with you. If this is what it's going to be like at a party, don't invite me, because I'll tell you what, here God says, don't forget the Levites. The Levites are their priests. That's people who's helping do the sacrifice. They're, 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 that's the crew, right? That's, that's your pastors. Don't forget your pastors if you're throwing a party. It's like, oh, you're going to mess up with our party. I'm sorry. We shut parties down at Crossbridge. <laughs> so unless you're like, oh, that, who's that guy dancing? That's my pastor. I learned it from Mama Do. That's what, it's what we're going to do, Right? Like, celebration is written into the law. It's written into the law, into the very Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in. They knew how to celebrate. But listen, like many commands, celebrating became legalistic. It became irresponsible in many ways. While they attended these major festivals and they're intended to celebrate God, they became actually pretty economic at the time of Jesus. And in the cities that celebrated these festivals now, they've kind of you know, decentralized it from Jerusalem. And in Jesus' time, they figured out ways to make money knowing they're going to sell all their stuff. They're going to come here to party. So if we, we do an exchange rate, we can get more from them. If we do this, we can get more. And instead of it being about celebrating, they really started to figure out how they acquire. And while they talked a very big game about celebrations there was this deep underlying spirit of criticism and cynicism that permeated everything. And these, these two habits, these two attitudes, criticism, cynicism, they will suck the helium out of every balloon at the party that you have hung. I mean, sure, being cynical, critical, and all that, it, it, you know, it, it is funny for a couple of minutes when you start picking apart the little things. But quickly, in those moments, you are left with nothing but shriveled shells of celebration on the floor. And then you sit back and criticize even more, wondering why this party is so lame. If you read the biographies of Jesus, any of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, over and over and over, you will read how criticism and cynicism suck the life out of this community. Built around celebration, it's completely gone. And let's be real. When we hang out with critics and cynics, we catch that attitude, don't we? We pick that up faster than if it was the Omicron variant of COVID. 
We get it real quick. And before you realize it, you're infected, and now you're picking apart everything around you like it's normal. In our culture today, we use the phrase, I'm being analytical. I'm being analytical. But each time that you open your mouth, it seems to be analytical, isn't it? Can't you point out something good? I'm not even asking you to see a silver lining. Just point out something good. And in church culture, come on, we do the same thing. We do the same exact thing, but we use a religious word, and we like to call it discernment. Discernment is the word that we use sometimes, and we use it to justify ourselves. And it's just wild to me how some people always seem to be very trying to figure out discernment, and they're always discerning things about Christian communities and discerning things about their small groups and discerning and rarely celebrating. It happened in Jesus' culture. It happens in our culture too. But Jesus was different because in a world of doubters and cynics, Jesus always found a way to celebrate. He always found a way to celebrate. I know that he grew up in this culture for 30 years or so before he really steps into ministry. But after he's baptized, do you know where we find him performing his first miracle? Where is it? It's at a wedding. He is celebrating. He is celebrating. And, and Jesus is at the party. And Jewish weddings in this culture... This isn't like you plan for a four-hour period with a DJ. and the, 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 This is like a couple-day event. It could be a five- to seven-day event to celebrate. Like, how do you get that off of work? How, what do you do with that on top of all the other festivals? In my brain, do they ever work? Yeah, when they need to, but they know how to celebrate. And this party, they are about to go. And there's an issue at the party there. There's an issue at the wedding, and it's, they're about to run out of wine. This is a huge, a major party foul for this culture, okay? And it would not because like, oh, people want to get drunk or whatever, but it would bring massive shame to the host because they did not prepare for the whole week. They would be seen um, with shameful eyes by their culture. So Mary, Jesus' mom, um, oh man, wait, wait to step in, mom. <laughs> She's amazing. She looks at him and, and she kind of just says like, they ran out of wine. And Jesus looks and says, that's really not my problem. <laughs> like, I'm not throwing the party. And like an amazing mom, she doesn't respond to him. She doesn't. Do you know what she does? She turns to the servants that are around, and this is what she says in John chapter 2, verse 5. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Words to live by right there, please hear them. Do whatever he tells you to do. She knew that he loved people. She believed in him that he could solve this problem that they had and knowingly tells the servants, just listen up. If he says it, do it. I love how much Mary believed in Jesus. She's amazing, isn't she? Over and over. So Jesus performs his first miracles by turning these giant jugs of water that the servants had filled, and he turns them into the best wine that this community had ever had. Was it to show off and to flex and say, look, I got, I got it all? No. Because do you know the only people who knew about this? It was the servants. The servants are the only ones who knew this miracle happened. Maybe, maybe it was because 
No wine at the party would have opened the door to cynics and doubters. But Jesus was there to celebrate. That marriage mattered and that family mattered. And this is a pattern we see in the life of Jesus all the time. He was constantly finding himself invited over to people's houses to party, to eat these giant meals, hang out for hours. And, and it was the religious and the non-religious people who invited him over. Both invited him, and he said yes to all of them because Jesus likes to celebrate and party. He wants to be with people. When, when he went to religious parties, you know what's wild is he always got criticized and critiqued by the hosts and the people who were there. I mean, they're asking him all sorts of questions like, why didn't you wash your hands the right way? Why are you, you know, willing to and telling that slave girl, you know, you should be telling her to get out of the room. Why are you letting her stay? If you know so much, then give me the answer to this trick question, right? And they're trying to pick him apart. Well, why don't your disciples fast like other people? Why don't they do what they're supposed to do? Why can't you teach right? What, what's the deal with you? We're not all 10. You don't have to keep telling us stories. Could you imagine being invited over to a religious person's house only to have everything in your life critiqued every time you sit down, picked apart? No thanks. This happened every time Jesus went over. You know what's funny though? He kept going. Because people matter. Celebration matters. Is this because Jesus is like a huge party animal and he's like, if you're throwing, I'll be there? No, I don't think that's it at all. But I think that he arrived at each house anticipating and excited to celebrate. There was always an expectation of celebration. And if that didn't happen, he knew there would be a moment to teach those around him about how they lost their passion to celebrate what God was doing. In Dr. Luke's biography of Jesus, in chapter 14, we actually see Jesus do this with a religious gathering that he's invited to. In chapter 14, on the first day, it says this, on Sabbath, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Now, Jesus heads to the house. All eyes are on him, right? And, and here's why all eyes are on him. Number one, it's the Sabbath. We know from Leviticus, this is a party day. This celebration day, eat well, laugh, and no working. But he's not the only guest they invited. They invited someone who was sick. They intentionally invited this person who was sick to see if Jesus would heal him. And so, I love, I love what Jesus does. And instead of letting this man, who never would have been invited to this party in the first place, instead of letting him be the pawn that these teachers are using to try to trick him. He cuts off the cynical thoughts when he walks in. And in verse five, it tells us, then he turned to them and he said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? He's calling them out on their hypocrisy immediately. You'd rescue things that matter to you personally, wouldn't you? You wouldn't consider that work. Why, why can't you celebrate the man that's in front of you right now instead of trying to use him. What's your deal with using him? Why would you do this? I came to celebrate. It's Sabbath, man. It's time to eat and drink. But when Jesus looks around the house at that moment, he realizes there's a lot more people than he expected that just started to gather after him. 
And in verse 7 it says, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Right? They're jockeying for position, and this is what he says. Well, actually, this might not make sense to us because when we go to someone's house, we don't really jockey for a position at a table. There used to be some organization to like where people sat at a table, and maybe you have your routine like you do at church, and if someone sits in your seat, you're like, oh, I can't hear Jesus if I'm in a different red chair. I need this spot. Like, no, he speaks to all of us at all times, right? If we're listening, if you have ears, listen. Um, and, and so, but it was different in this moment because there was an organized way of where you sat and then where everybody else sat around you. And so if you were right next to the host, on one side, you were the guest of honor, and on the other side, you were the um, second most important, and then it kind of worked its way around what's a table called a triclinium. It's just like a giant U. And they would work themselves around, and the people who sit at the end are the least because they're furthest from the host conversation. And then the, whoever sits at the last spot is usually the one who has to start washing the feet of the other guests if there's no servant who works at that home for that person, okay? So, you know, get to church early so that you don't get the seat where you're waiting in the back. Like, what do I do? Like, get here. You can get your seat, I promise. Um, and just as a, you ready for a tip? Guests usually arrive early. Regular tenders arrive late. Yeah, we know. Get here early. Get your seat, right? Get here with expectation, anticipation for what? Celebration. And so Jesus knows this, and he's like, listen, your goal is, like, what I want to teach you in this moment is, uh, and he tells them this simple story, like, here's what I want you to do. Sit in the, in the worst spot. Sit in the worst spot. And then this way, when the host is like, what are you doing down there? He'll move you up. And, because if you sit in the best spot, and he's like, what are you doing here? I invited, you know, my wife's here. Like, she got to sit here. You go down. You don't want to be seen moving down. Let them move you up. That's what you want. Put yourself in the worst spot. That's the goal, right? It seems pretty simple. So while they're all elbowing, it's like, listen, just start low. The host will move you up. And then he continues with more in verse 12, and he says, then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Do you remember how this party started? This man was invited as a pawn, and instead of letting him to be used that way, Jesus heals him right when he walks in. And now he tells the host of this party, dude, you got too many people like you at this party. You need to vary your list. Your guest list, it needs to change. You're only inviting people who invite you back, and that's going to be this obligatory saying yes to parties. It's no fun, right? You need some diversity. The best celebrations, I don't know about you, but the best celebrations, the most fun parties involve what's very unpredictable and the stories that you can't plan. You know those things that happen at parties that you're like, oh my gosh, do you remember this? You can't plan those things. At Crossbridge, can I tell you, this is one of the reasons we, we celebrate and we have traditionally done Night to Shine. I know it's looked different because of different reasons, but we throw this party for our adults with special needs in the entire region because Jesus says to party, and he's given us a very clear guest list. Jesus knows how to build a guest list for a party, right? 
He's got the most amazing people on this list. Because when we threw a party pre-COVID, for people who the culture pushes aside, can I tell you I've never celebrated so hard. I've never danced so much and sweat while dancing because everyone wants to dance. Everyone wants to celebrate. You're not looking at what, what someone thinks about you when you're dancing because they don't care because they're enjoying this moment of celebration for all that it is worth. I've had more fun celebrating the love of God in these moments. And let me tell you, guests with wheelchairs, guests who sign to you, I, I, can't, I don't know what they're saying, but I see it on their face. Guests whose dance moves are communicated through how aggressively they grab your arms and swing because they cannot tell you with any other way and you could do nothing but weep with the joy of being in love with God as you're being loved. That doesn't happen when you invite people who just look like you. Jesus has a guest list that's varied, and that, that is the inspiration, a lot of the inspiration behind the new special needs ministry that's getting kicked off, and I am excited about this. And, you know, like Christiana said, you're going to hear more about this next week. We want to make sure that Crossbridge is a place that's inviting the people and is safe for the people, welcoming to the people that are on Jesus' guest list. It can't just be people who look like you and me. We've got to vary the guest list at our parties. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, really? Yes, we do. We do. Jesus knows how to create a guest list, and let me tell you, cynics are not at the top of it. And he didn't party with just the religious. Jesus partied with those who were not religious. And uh, I'll be honest, when I read the differences between the parties, I want the non-religious party over the religious party. <laughs> um, yeah, have you ever partied with Christians and it's nothing, then you party with people who do not follow Jesus and it just seems like it's more fun? Things are backwards. We have way more to celebrate as followers of Jesus. We've got something wrong. We need to learn this, right? He didn't just party here. So he... he, he <laughs> Jump to chapter 15 with me, just one over in the Gospel of Luke. In verse 1, it says this, The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, how do you think the religious leaders of the time felt about Jesus now? With you know, He's hanging out, and, and the way that they're labeled is notorious sinners and tax collectors. He just told them the best guest list. So in verse 2, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus just told them he was going to do this. Like, he told them the party people. They didn't really have a problem with that. Do you know when people have a party with what, or a problem with what Jesus says? When you actually do it. When Jesus actually lives out what he says, people get frustrated. When we actually live out what Jesus says, it's like, oh, you can believe whatever you want. Oh, you mean that. It's something different. And here, cynics, right, they'll sit and they'll talk about the best way to throw a party. Celebrators are going to get out there and do it. Imagine the scene. Jesus, surrounded by this motley crew of people, pushed aside by their community because they're not allowed to be here. There's food on the table. There's laughter in the air. And they turn, and now they see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, looking at them. And it's the look, I think, that keeps them from trying to get back into community in the synagogue. It's the look of disappointment, the look of judgment, 
the look of disgust. And so from outside, these Pharisees complain about Jesus and the company that Jesus keeps. Jesus doesn't yell at them from outside. Do you know what he does? When, when they hate, he tells stories. I'm sure they're going to love that, aren't they? He tells stories. He actually tells three stories in this moment. And the first story that he tells them loud enough where all the people are celebrating and now these Pharisees are outside. And the first story he says, let me tell you about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and, and one of them went missing. And when the sheep went missing, the shepherd went off to go find it. And when he does, he, he, he takes that sheep and he throws it on his shoulders and he goes back home. And in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 15, he says, this is how Jesus tells the story. He says, when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying what? He says what to his friends and neighbors? Nice and loud. Rejoice. Rejoice with me because I found my sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't straight away. I think the people who are surrounding Jesus would have picked up on what he's saying a little bit here. I think they, that glasses would have been raised and hurrahs or whatever they would say. You know, I think they knew that they were loved by Jesus in this moment. They knew. And I, I wonder if the Pharisees outside are listening and they hear what Jesus said and they're beginning to pick it apart. How inefficient is it to go after one? What if something happens to the 99? You care for the 99 because the one... Come on, I've said that with this passage. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Guess what? The celebration doesn't happen if it's not found. God cares about lost people being found for the sake of hope and restoration. Why do we need so much protection? It's okay. He's called us to go. And so they're probably coming up with a three-step plan to keep the sheep secure so that you can make sure they're okay to go get it. And the dinner guests are raising glasses saying there's a celebration in heaven. Just like heaven is happening, it's happening on earth. Then he tells another story quickly and he says there's a woman who has 10 coins and, and as she is, goes throughout her day, she loses a coin. This is a huge deal. So she tears her house apart to find this coin, and she does. And when she finds it, verse 9, it says, when she finds it, she'll call her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, I, I hear glasses clinking. All around Jesus, people know, I'm that coin. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I feel that. Things look different with Jesus around, don't they? I imagine the Pharisees frustrated. It's just like a woman to lose her coin. Right? Come on, they did not look favorably upon women. I'm sure this is what they're thinking. Right? Well, I wonder if she has to tithe off of what she's found because now it's kind of like this and there should, should she do this? I mean, how much does it cost to celebrate with her friends if she's celebrating with her friends now? Is she using the one? She's just like she lost the one. They're ready to pick this apart, and before they know it, Jesus goes into one last story about two lost sons. A dad has two sons, and the younger of those two sons says to his dad, I'd like my portion of the inheritance, basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And the father, in deep pain, gives this to the son, and he goes off with this money, and he completely blows it. He wastes it on everything that's not worthwhile celebrating. 
And he finds no hope and value because when a famine hits, he has nothing left. He's left poor and starving, so this boy gets a job feeding pigs, which would have been horrendous to the people that were listening, the Pharisees outside. This is unclean. Who would do this? And as this son in the story works for this farmer who gave him a job in a famine, he's taking the pig garbage, throwing it in for them to eat, and he looks, he longs for it, and a moment of recognition comes on. My father's servants are treated better than this because that looks good. I'll go home. And he comes up with a plan to say, just hire me back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son and all this stuff. And, and so he sets off and as he crests the hill on his way home, his dad is already running at him, excited because he's been waiting for his son to return. And in verse 22, this is what Jesus says to this story. He says, but his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers, for sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. Why? What does he say? We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so what happened? So the party began. When I read stories like this, I am so thankful that God is a celebratory God. It's almost like he's looking for reasons to throw a party, isn't it? He's looking for reasons and knows that these parties will always get the attention of the people around us because people want a party. The older son, he's out working hard and this party attracts his attention so he goes back to the party and he sees what's happening and if someone says, oh, your, your brother came back, he's like, well, that's stupid. What the heck? And so his dad, in deep compassion, goes out to him, tries to convince him to come in. You've got to come, you've got to come. He's like, no, no. You see, the older son is just as lost in this moment. He's got every cynical reason, and he gives him to his dad as to why that party shouldn't be happening, why he should have what, what his brother has now. And it's like he wasted everything. He's, what a waste. I didn't get anything. And, and the father just sits there and says, but everything I've had has been open to you. Why didn't you party? You could have partied all you want. But you're spending so much time working, like, you don't have to do this. Remember that Jesus is surrounded by people who have been pushed aside at the party and outside the cynical Pharisees sit coming up with reasons it's wrong. In a world of doubters and cynics, Jesus always found a way to celebrate. The biggest celebrations that Jesus has are when people repent of their sins, when they receive the grace and the forgiveness that he offers. And if you have done this, if you have placed your hope and trust in the death, the resurrection, and in the ascension of Jesus Christ, can I just tell you something right now? There is a party in heaven for you. You could grin at that. It's your fault there's a party happening in heaven because Jesus has revealed himself to you and you've said, I am in, and that meant party time. That meant party time. Let me just tell you, can I see your eyes really quick? This is so important for you to know. You are worth celebrating. You are worth celebrating. And every single time that anyone says, I am a sinner in need of Jesus and turns to him, this isn't good news. This is great news. And we should be throwing the biggest freaking parties of anybody over this because that's what's happening in heaven. It's time to stop and go, we, we got to relearn how to celebrate we got to relearn how to throw a party. And why is it then that it seems like followers of Jesus are the ones with no, no joy, no celebration, and we are just as cynical as the world around us? Not just cynical of the world, but we're cynical of the church. 
and the people who are in it. We hear a testimony of someone coming to Christ and we're like, oh yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Well, well let's, let's wait until they fall and then I'll say, I told you so. It's harder than they think. Why is it that when someone who follows Jesus gets so excited and they're weeping in worship because they experience the love of God in that moment, we're like, what a baby. Like, what's wrong with them? Or they're jumping up and down with arms raised high and we're like, what a fanatic, what a weird... But they're so excited about God and we're like, oh, that'll calm down. Like, it's just easy, easy. It's not what we do here. Why don't we do that? We celebrate God like it's an obligatory party I'm going to, not like a wedding feast. When someone begins to share their faith when they come to know Jesus and they're so excited they want to tell everybody... Why do we say, ah, oh, just that'll fade? Or don't be so aggressive and forceful about it. I think we say it because we're guilty about the last time we shared our faith and we don't want to see it because it makes us feel it. It's easier not to do that. So we become cynical. We say it like we care all the time, but the truth is, in reality, when's the last time you shared your faith? The good news of Jesus Christ worth celebrating that there was a party in heaven for you and you'll be partying in heaven forever. When's the last time you shared that with somebody? Seriously. Like you talked about Jesus with someone else next to you. The world needs hope. We have that story. The worst part for me is we spiritualize it. I, I, I'm critical because I care. I'm just trying to make things better. I'm trying to discern what's going on. Let me tell you, cynicism is not listed as one of the spiritual gifts. If you read scripture, it is not. When your base posture is cynicism or criticism, this is not discernment, this is demonic because it divides, it tears apart. The older brother was stubborn and would not celebrate. The Pharisees stayed outside and wouldn't celebrate. Cynicism will divide us, but celebration will bring us together, won't it? It's time to stop policing for God, and I believe it's time to start praising him. He does not need a defender. He is our defender, so you don't have to worry what people say about him. He's big enough to cover himself, trust me. He's not called us to pick fights. He's called us to throw parties. We should be celebrating, because in a world of doubters and cynics, Jesus always found a way to celebrate. And let me just ask you, how would your world look different today? Your life look different if you started celebrating like Jesus did? I'll be honest, I'm still learning this. I default to cynicism and criticism. But I'm thankful for many spiritual women in my life who have taught me to celebrate the moms who see the best and the women who see the best in us when we can't see it in ourselves, they just listen to him, do whatever he says. They know something about us and they call it out in us. So celebrating is for all of us for, for a moment, ladies. Just thank you for calling out the best in the people around you. May God give you the grace to continue to see the best, to bring it out in us. We desperately need that. All of us need that. We need that as a church. Would you help us celebrate well? How will you live your life today? Cynical or in celebration? What will make you different? Will you pray with me as Chris comes to lead us in communion today? God, I am so grateful to celebrate that even thinking today as we sit here singing, there is so much to celebrate.
There is so much to celebrate. We, we have all these reasons, but the biggest simply is that you have offered salvation, eternal hope for us. That death is never the end for us. It's just simply that next point until celebration with you in heaven and complete healing. So God, I just ask for all of us where there is criticism, we ask for forgiveness. Where there is critiquing, that's not from you to make things better. God, I just ask for forgiveness in those areas. That you would truly give us a spirit of discernment and not to figure out how to make this better, but simply discernment being, what are you doing right now? And how do we do that? May that be our posture so that when you say go, we say yes. And just like Mary commanded us, just do whatever he says, would we do what you say? When your kingdom is continuing to come on this earth, we would celebrate and party that our glasses would be raised the highest, that our cheers would be the loudest, that we would look like idiots to the world in celebration. They would stand outside and say, what are you doing? If you only knew the grace of Jesus, let me tell you, I was lost, but now I'm found. Would we tell your story this week in celebration? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.